Cool. Good men. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring, the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to you that gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Thank you very much. As we said, this is uh, the seventh lesson. Actually, it's the eighth lesson, because we always have that zero lesson. The intro lesson. But, if you'd like, let's read this out together. I apologize that it's not our scroll translation, but you know this song very well. Psalm 29, tell me why we know this song. It's in the prayer. Shakarit. That's right. But did you know why it's in Shaker? Ascribe to Adonai, O heavenly beings, ascribe to Adonai glory and strength. Ascribe to Adonai the glory due to his name. Worship Adonai in the splendor of holiness. The voice of Adonai is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. Adonai over many waters. The voice of Adonai is powerful. The voice of Adonai is full of majesty. The voice of Adonai breaks the cedars. Adonai breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to sit like a cat and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Adonai flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of Adonai shakes the wilderness. Adonai shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of Adonai makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! Adonai sits enthroned over the flood. Adonai sits enthroned as king forever. May Adonai give strength to his people. May Adonai bless his people with peace. Amen. Amen. And, so that you know why we do that for Shakarit, in particular on Shabbat, this is because it's Shabbat. As you note, it's seven times the voice of Adonai is there. And so, Sinai was the marriage ceremony it was the giving of the seven blessings. Oh, cool. And so we read this song on Shabbat in memory of the fact that we've been wed to the king. I love it. That That's cool. very cool. Yeah. So, why is it important to have the seven blessings? Yes. Whoa, 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 the seven whoa, blessings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right there. The voice. The voice. The voice. The voice. The voice. And actually, there's a correlation. They try and match them up. They're not sequential, but they try and match them up with the seven blessings. But now you know why we actually include Psalm 29, where we include it as part of Shakari. Because it is a it is an expression of a covenant relationship that was formed at Sinai. So, we have spent time examining the practical aspects of the wedding, the Jewish wedding. We kind of have an idea. If, well, you know, most of you already know it, but a lot of people don't know about the weddings because they haven't participated who has not been to a Jewish wedding? So, <laughs> as you know, this is why we kind of like maybe we're taking it a little bit for granted. But people that don't have a have a fundamental understanding or have not experienced it, come in, come in. Oh, please. Oh, yes. Fine young men here. Mm-hmm. Right, mom. Right. Somebody give right. lines to these young men, please. <laughs> Make a space. We just started, so it's perfect timing. 
For one more cheer, and you should have everybody right there. Boom, boom, boom. Gregory, move up one spot next to Brock, and he'll have uh, right there with his son. There we go. Hold on. That was warm right here next to the projector. Oh, yes. I backed up on this slide because these fine young men, Oh yeah. I don't know if you know this or not, but nearly all of their conscious life, they have prayed Shakari. They know the song, Psalm 29. It's part of Shakari's prayer on Shabbat. And Shakari prayer on Shabbat includes the song because it is the wedding ceremony. It's the wedding ceremony where Israel was wedded by covenant to Hashem at Sinai. And so this voice of Adonai is repeated seven times, correlates to the seven blessings in the Shev Rakot, which is part of the wedding ceremony. And I'm using the word ceremony very loosely. I, I never noticed it was there seven times. It is seven times. It's it, amazing. You know, the thing that I think most won me over to the Jewish wedding ceremony and the reason the fact that you had one well that's <laughs> not, not, not the only reason but one of the main reasons why I want, really wanted to do it myself for many years before I got married were the Sheva Barakot because the seven blessings um, we're going to get into them more but I feel like they're so cool because they, they turn what is a um, kind of a, a somewhat of a man focused ritual the wedding ceremony absolutely into a into a, a beautiful expression of worship praising God for what's happening. And that's not to say that a Christian ceremony doesn't also try to incorporate I agree worship. With but the difference, I feel like, is a Christian ceremony oftentimes tries to worship God in the midst of the wedding, whereas I feel like the Sheva Barakot worship God for the wedding, absolutely. which is so cool. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Anyway, we, talk, we were talking about the fact that wedding customs give us a key understanding into a, into a relationship between God and his people. The relationship between God and his people is an intimate relationship. Is every relationship between God and his people intimate? No. How about a king and his subjects? Is a king and his subjects, is that intimate? <coughs> not really. Uh, not very. <laughs> uh, maybe fear and trembling, like a judge. That's right. Um, how about uh, a relationship between father and child? That's more intimate. Yes, absolutely. So we see that in, in scripture, a father and his child. That's certainly more intimate. But the most intimate relationship in all of human relationships is the relationship between a bridegroom and his bride. That's why it is very important to understand that relationship in order to understand the relationship, why God uses this language. And he doesn't just use this language uh, in, the, in the marriage life. It's all focused on the wedding, which is a really interesting thing. Think about it. Well, don't you grow much closer over years? I've been married almost 35 years. I can promise you I love my wife far more now than I did then. I thought I did. <laughs> I think she loves me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, why is it focused on the beginning? Why is the beginning the focus? Is that the foundation for what will come? What, so you have to have a good wedding in order to have a good marriage? Mm. <laughs> no. no. If you're looking for an answer... Yeah. I am. Okay. I, am. Okay. I mean, it's rhetorical, but yeah. yeah. Um, I don't I, have an answer. I'm asking. To me, I think one of the things that stood out from <coughs> doing this study this, um, that you did, and then also just from my own experience, I feel like the wedding is all about joy. And that's the thing that I think that's so cool is it's a it's a party it's 
a celebration. It's all about joy. Not to say that marriage life is not also about joy, but marriage life also has normal things like work. I have to go to work, be away from my wife for you know eight, ten hours a day. You know, there's other types of things in life that are just tedious and normal, mundane. But the marriage, the marriage is different. The wedding ceremony is different. It is a, it's like a, it's in some sense a glimmer of the world to come, in which um, there is rejoicing always. He, he, took, he took my thunder. Yeah, <laughs> I, the the ceremony represents the ultimate, the, yes. the, the the profession. Exactly. And you know, if, if we can live up to that. That's right. Over time, we grow in a wedding, in a, in a marriage relationship. We grow over time, but. You can't grow over time if you didn't have a wedding. So the focus is as the ideal. This is. So all that benefit afterwards comes because of the wedding. <coughs> One of the cool things that I notice is that a lot of times you see at Christian weddings, you see a lot of the younger folks and even the older family saying, oh, well, it's all over now. It's, it's all over. And what I've noticed at Joshua and Juliana's wedding, just in my wedding, that people were so astounded at God's presence yeah. and uh, the sanctity of the wedding, mm-hmm. and they were just so, so supportive of what we were doing. It wasn't, you got, it's all over, guys. Hope you enjoyed your, your singledom, but now it's, <laughs> it's start to... It, you, know, it, you know, I think part of that, if you think about it, for people my age, you know, it's the carpenters. We just really seriously, though. No. I mean, it's, it's just like I said, you know, I, I have a much richer relationship with my wife now than I did then. So, but it's it's almost like the Jewish cultural perspective on wedding and marriage is it's tipped on its head. Yeah. The the best is first. Mm-hmm. The best, and we're not talking about the best time or the closest relationship, but the best is first. The ideal is first, and then we live it out. I think that I think you're right. I I think to go going back to your original question, you know, it's it's a starting point. Like I've been close with my fiance right. for three years, but it's probably nothing compared to the closest we'll have after we're married. Absolutely, it's just a different, absolutely. Relationship. And it gets better, but that's a relationship that's not the kind. Right. So we spent time examining the wedding language used as well. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, it also gives you something to look back on, like Passover when you wear Absolute. your kitzel and things yeah. like that. Absolutely. My wife is not watching this, so anything that I say here today, please be careful and do not refer to her anything that I say, because I was looking through pictures today. Our, our wedding anniversary is coming up, so I was looking through pictures, old pictures. Don't tell her, because yeah, that would really tip something off. Really old. Really, really old, old pictures. Really <laughs> old pictures. Scanning pictures. <laughs> and... Uh, Wow, man! I mean, that's that's a long time ago. <laughs> but I, I was, I, it was. I tell you what, and it just kind of goes with that. Is that those memories? Every time I pull out a picture of my wife, it's like, wow, she was gorgeous. I mean, all the way through the, you know, thirty-five years of marriage, like I'm going back as like ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. Like, man. Man, I want to marry that woman. Oh, wait, I did marry her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've also looked at the language. You know, we've looked at actual weddings. That helps us. But we also looked at the language through Scripture. Because, you know, even Song of Songs carries, even though it has mystic connotation, it carries some 
that language is being used for a reason. Why does God use a language? Because he thinks we should relate to it. Unfortunately, the most of the people that read, when I say most, I mean most, actually almost all of the people that read the scriptures do not know what this is talking about. Because they don't have that experience. It's not even, it's beyond them. They think they know it. Oh yeah, it's about a way. Yeah. Isn't that where the preacher stands up? But they don't really understand. It's not part of their experience. It's, it's not their fault, but it's not part of their experience. By making it part of our experience and knowing the language that's being used, now we've like, okay, those are the touch points, like we're minutes. We, we pin the various expressions of a relationship on the wall. We have it all mapped out. Yeah, so when we hear that language, we, we have a personal understanding of what that language means. Okay? But notice this. I had it in bold. It's in context of the Jewish way. Not to detract from any wedding, even if it's a Buddhist wedding. Honestly, honestly, when God brings two people together, however weirdly that happens, there is something good from that. Well, first of all, hopefully they're fulfilling the first commandment. But there is something good from that. It is a spiritual experience, not just a physical experience. It's a good phys- spiritual experience for those people even in a relationship with God that they may not have. But in the full understanding, a Jewish wedding is different. It is, it is far better to understand using the Jewish wedding, the culture of the Jewish wedding. We've already talked about all this, but now we're going to focus on one particular part of that wedding. You did the ceremony, and we did the ceremony. Remember, the ceremony is divided into two parts. Everybody remember the parts? The swing and the... We'll find a Star Trek reference here in a second. Kiddushin. Kiddushin. Okay, so we have the two parts. Remember Kiddushin? Remember over time they've been split into really almost put together here. You know, there are still two separate parts of the ceremony, but they're kind of together. But do you remember when we did Kiddushin? We said, okay, we got the Sheva Brachot, and we said, well, hold on. This is a big piece we're going to hold off to the end. And the reason why is because that's the ceremony. So when you're blessing him, it's like you're telling him to live long and prosper. All that shit. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. There, there it is. is. There it is. All right. I salute you, sir. I salute you, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nimoy and Shatner will go through it. That's right. Everybody's just so sanctified without <laughs> sanctification. Don't look at your notes, please. What does sanctified mean? Set, set, apart. set apart. Made food. Without sanctification. What's sanctification? Without sanction. Excuse me. Without sanction. They're the same root, y'all. Do you understand that? How's a wet? What is a wedding? It is the church and the state sanctioning the union legally and for the sake of children. Uh, establishing new identities. True? Everybody agree with that? Sure. Sanction. The state sanctions, the church sanctions. In fact, if you go to the state of Israel today, you cannot <coughs> get married if you are not Orthodox and marrying an Orthodox. Hmm. You can't. The state does not sanction it. Okay? In the, in the United States today, the state sanctions if you want to marry a a puppy, you can do that. Not saying that that's acceptable, but the point is the state sanctions it, okay? But it's sanctified without sanction. A Jewish wedding, this is where the state of Israel is wrong, biblically, because a Jewish wedding requires no sanction. None. Zero. How do I say that? 
Well, look, Christian and Protestants, we're really big on this. Everybody's got to have both. Did, 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 did you sign the marriage license? Mm-hmm. I've signed marriages licenses before. If anybody in here has I've signed a marriage license, I'm sorry, it probably is not valid. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, the state requires us to sign a marriage license, which is silly because we don't need a si- signature on a marriage license. We didn't even need a marriage license to start with, but we certainly don't need a signature. By whom? Who is supposed to sign a marriage license in the United States? Every state in the union. Clergy. Hey, we don't got clergy. The man who's been ordained. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Jews don't have clergy. Did you know that? Jews don't have clergy. There are no men of the cloth. <laughs> none. Backwards collars, none. We wear kippot, but we don't wear collars. Why? Because we're not dogs. Why do we not have clergy? Why does Judaism not have clergy? We have rabbis. Are they clergy? They're treated as clergy in the United States and various places around the world. They're even cle- treated, in some respect, cle- treated as clergy in, in, in the state of Israel as well. But are rabbis clergy? Not, not technically speaking. Clergy yeah. really has an, an institutional it is. aspect. So, yes, ask, and whose synagogue is this? The clergy. The clergy. The rabbi won't say, it's my synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were to ask, whose pastor, you know, back, when, you know, back in the 80s, whose pastor first Baptist Atlanta? Charles Stanley, it's his church. His church? I mean, we say, people say it, and they don't even, they well, don't even blink at today, it. Today, Pastor Kurdick runs from Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's his church. Oh, he's at such and such. People say that. That's just a really remarkable thing. Break that down in language. What does that mean? I mean, <laughs> Scripture tells us very strongly that that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So, the presence of a rabbi at a wedding is simply a state requirement type of thing. It's people, it's culturally, they want to fit in with a Western idea, and you got to have the clergy. So Rabbi Zeri, he does himself. He signs the marriage license. In the United States, he does. Not every Jewish wedding has a rabbi, but if they do, that's kind of what it is. He's fulfilling the role of clergy, even though he's a one. Okay? We have Mr. Uh, Calvin to thank for that. Yes, thank you, John Calvin. Yeah, yeah. The sanctity of the Jewish wedding is brought by the groom and the bride. I want you to remember this. The groom and the bride are the ones that bring sanctity to the wedding. It is not a church or a synagogue or a clergy being present. It is the groom and the bride and the blessings. The seven blessings. That's what makes it sanctified. Okay? The union is not created by state or clergy. As the Bible describes, thank you very much, we have Genesis, the first wedding. <laughs> right? Uh, there's just two, and God blesses them. And that's it. There's no, like, did she wear a veil? You know, did she walk an aisle? Well, you know, we don't want that image. Please, erase that from your minds. She was clothed in light. <laughs> Fingernails. Yeah, Fingernails, that's right. Hard light. She was not naked. The blessings that sanctify the groom and the bride. I shouldn't say the blessings. The two and the blessings sanctify the union are known as the Shemarachot, the seven blessings. So we'll start with the first one. Blessing one, created for his glory. We're going to read uh, in English. I'll sing them for you. Uh, 
Uh, blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has created everything for his glory. Well, that's very nice. That's a very nice thing. It's like, okay, we'll start off by blessing God that he created everything for his glory. Consider why that is the first blessing. Someone look up Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. Don't look at no. I have it. Six to seven. Six to seven, please. Thank you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Everyone is created for a purpose. Do you believe that? Something that good that John Calvin did <clears throat> is infuse in Protestant Christianity the fundamental concept that man was created for the glory of God. That's absolutely true. Biblical. It is the pinnacle of our purpose. Created for the glory of God. What is it to be created for the glory of God? What does that mean? What's God's glory? Is it shiny? What's glory? Wait. Wait. Come on. It's wait. What is wait? What am I trying to implicate when I say man was created for God's weight, his weightiness? To give him worship. Yeah. Worship is to give weight, right? But obedience. Obedience is to give weight, absolutely. These are these are these are describing what it is to give glory, but what is glory? What is that weight? What is it? It's defining and revealing. God as He is. I mean, that's pretty simple, but yeah, as He is. The demonstration. Wow. That's man was created to reveal God as He is. He's unknowable. How can man possibly reveal Him? He reveals Him by obeying, by worshiping Him, as He is, and has He defined Himself and defined His worship, right? So this is how man brings glory to God. Which men? This is the first blessing. Which men? Men in general? Absolutely. It's, people. it's not the men in the it's his people. Number one is people. And we're going to see later. Rashi says not only his people, but this holy congregation that are here to observe this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you think about that, that makes this a powerful blessing. It's like, everyone in this room had a Jewish wedding. You were brought here for this purpose. And this purpose is to glorify, to add weight, to show the weight of our God. The uh, the black holes. Can't see them. But, But they're described and they're evidenced Right. By what happens, by what happens around, around them. Right. Yeah. And and by the actions of the bodies around the black hole, yeah. the black hole is defined. And I never thought about about that, what you just said, that God is glorified and described. Because yeah. we can't actions. see him. You know, we can't see him, we can't feel him, we can't know his presence except that he reveals himself through people mm-hmm. or nature. But most importantly through people. All nature is brings glory to God. Yeah, All of his crea- creation. However, it is it requires 
nefesh in order to soul, in order to meet this requirement. You know, you can have dogs barking, that's great, man. Birds flying, fish swimming, all that's wonderful, brings glory to God, no question about it. But not in the way that men bring glory to God. Because yeah. we were created for this. Okay? So he wants to reveal his glory to his people for his reason they were created to participate in the Jewish wedding is the most important example. That seems pretty overreaching. But I want to remind you, what's the first commandment? Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Think about it for a second. Two can multiply. Two become one can multiply. Have more creatures who are created in order to bring glory to God. That's astounding. Talk about pro-life. That's like, whoa, that makes pro-life to be just the pinnacle of our being. Think about it. Not just two. Create one. Or two. Or three. Or four. Or twelve. But those create three or fifty or a hundred. And they those create two hundred or five hundred or a thousand. This is an important moment that everybody here in the Jewish wedding is here to bring glory to God. And so we thank him that he created us for this purpose. And I mean to underscore just how real that is, I saw a story one time where there was a woman who was having like her ninety sixth birthday in Israel and her entire family People descended from her. I think they were all descended from her. Yeah. Showed up for the party. There were over a thousand right. people. For one woman. For one woman. Holocaust yeah. survivor. That's incredible. Yeah. So I mean, you, it, it can be done. She's a. I mean, I, her, I guess she was a, either a great great grandmother, maybe. Fucking four, maybe five generations at most. Over a thousand people. It's pretty cool. Very cool. So. Blessing two. Any questions or comments on blessing one before we move on? Blessing two. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who fashions the man. Ha'adam. Do not miss the the. The definite article. Ha'adam. The man. Not man. Oh, it's nice. He hates man. Yes, he does. Mankind are definitely his creation. But who did he create first? The man, Adam. And who today, during this wedding, is Ha'adam? The bridegroom. Absolutely. So, somebody look up Genesis 2 7. I got it. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Do not. Do not minimize the creation of woman and I don't mean to so don't we're going to move on to that in a second so I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say this but only man had God breathe into him and he became a soul the male the man Adam is the only one who was breathed into Eve was not breathed into does she have a soul of course <laughs> that's not the point the point is God's breath Give me, give me a y'all know uh, Michelangelo's uh, painting on the Sistine Chapel, right? Mm-hmm. What's the the finger, right? What's <laughs> the what's the what's the significance of the fingers not touching? 
What is that significance? We, we're, we're given the view course, that no they time. may have touched or about to touch, but what's the significance? Hands breath from God. That's right. That close. That close. How close is breathing into? That's mouth to mouth. Right? It is. Absolutely. God breathed into Adam mouth to mouth. We bless it for this. So, who's the who's the one here that's representing Adam during a Jewish wedding? The groom. Wow. Whoa, thank you for making that guy. <laughs> In addition, the, um, the ceremony itself is emphasizing this Adam-like link. That's right. The first one to come out is the guy. That's right. The man walks out and takes his place beneath the chuppah as though it's his domain. It's his place. Then the woman is brought to him out of that. Rabbi Lappin highlights this idea as like the man by, by having um, territorial dominance, it demonstrates that he's the leader. Um, even in nature, like if you put fish in a fish tank, the one that gets there first ends up being automatically looked to as the leader. And Rabbi Lappin argues that from this point it's a, he, he says that um, women naturally want men who are leaders. And, uh, and so this whole ceremony goes back to the garden. So who shows up first? Man. And then woman is brought to him. Right. Feminists will not like this lesson. <laughs> Man was created by the deliberate, deliberate display of Hashem's condescending power. The deliberate display. That's not to say Eve or woman was not created by de- deliberate display. Because she was. We're going to see here in a moment. But remember, it's God's breath that makes Adam a living soul. This is a blessing not merely for all mankind, but also for the bridegroom specifically. And we say, this is like Adam before us today. Okay. Now I know that in, in, a, in a Christian or a Protestant, Catholic or Protestant wedding, generally that picture of the second Adam is being portrayed. I, I agree that that is probably a good representation. It is, absolutely. It's a very good representation. This is a little, this is a little, bit, more, a little bit more fundamental. This is not the second Adam right now. We want to get you a... Don't start thinking, you know, this is a Messiah figure. Because that's not what's going on. This is like Adam. What relationship was that? In perfection. I mean, perfect creation. God breathes into his life. No sin there. This is the first Adam. Okay? Blessing. Any questions on blessing? We're moving pretty good. We started off with a bunch of people. We went to this group here. Then we got down to one guy. <laughs> Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who the, fashions the man in his image. Well, that's good. That, didn't we already do that? In the image of his likeness, and prepared for him, for himself, a building for eternity. Blessed are you, Adonai, who fashions the man. Even when we're blessing God for the woman, we still got to mention the man. <laughs> Why? Very important reason why. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, 20 through 24. Amen. Thank you. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper to fit him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's pretty cool. So, what's the relationship between, we're not saying woman, but Eve and God? Through Adam. Through Adam. She was created. Did God breathe into her the breath of life? Yes, because he breathed into Adam. Does that make sense? In the same way that we all come from women, every one of us, we look to our mother and we go, you gave me life. That's a good thing to say. Right? Right? We we honor her, maybe above all others that are human beings, because, maybe except your wife, because she gave us life. It's a pretty big deal. In the same way, Eve has life through Adam. So, but it's interesting to me. So who's the building? This is the point. This is kind of fun. Who's the building? <laughs> you may not have known that the third blessing was actually a blessing for the bride when you read it, but it is. She's the building. The building? She's a building? Why is she a building? Oh, so she keeps me comfortable. The stage is actually referred to a man's wife sometimes as his wife. I mean, it's, it's a wife. His house. It's his house. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I think that that came out in this particular passage you, you highlighted because he leaves his father and mother, which is in a sense a man's home, home. when he's growing up. Right. And he cleaves to his wife; they become one flesh, and she becomes his home, as it were. That imagery is very powerful. It's seen even in the secular world. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that it, it carries with it that because the idea I think when I think about that is that in the same way that when I'm at home with my parents growing up, I feel a sense of security, a sense of comfortability, mm-hmm. a sense of um, openness, a sense of um, uh, peace. In the same way, that should be what I find in Absolutely. my Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting thing is, when Adam says she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, do you remember relating that back to Song of Songs? Remember what bones were? When we say that prayer, all my bones will praise you. What are we saying? Bones are the, in our bodies, bones are what holds us up. Strength. So when it says that you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, it is an acknowledgement that you support me. Now that's not the way that this may come across. She's a building for me, but uh, saying my strength is in the fact that I have this woman. I mean, wow. Isn't that cool? All right. There's nothing egalitarian. That's true. This is not very egalitarian. However, <laughs> before people get off on that, she's a building for him. The woman's created from man, but it's not to denigrate her. It's to compare her to the temple. Mm-hmm. She is the temple for his presence. So she's the visible representation where he cannot go or be involved or provide influence. In the same way, the temple provides a visible representation for people when they want to go be near God but never get to see Him. Does that make sense? Anybody that's married knows that this is exactly the way it works. I mean, she is. I mean, she's the building. She's definitely the building. She definitely represents me, right? In ways I can't even do it. She's the building. She's the resting place. She is Hakon. In kind of interesting little string of pearls imagery here, um, we see this even within the apostolic writers in the way that they talk about the bride of Messiah. The bride of Messiah is also compared to a temple. 
she is the dwelling place Absolutely. of God, but at the same time also the bride. So there is like a if you if you string all the little analogies together, she is the building. The two are one. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, but the two are one, but there are there is a Kabbalistic application as well. She is the Shekinah. Right? If if we are who we're supposed to be, she is the Shekinah, the the visible manifestation of us. So if you have a beautiful wife, you can be happy that you are a very handsome person. Because your wife's beauty is not on the outside, obviously. So you're you're handsome unless you're not on the outside either. <laughs> but the point here is that you, you that she becomes the Shekinah for the man. Hamakom. I'm so, I'm so disappointed because I thought I was the only guy. The, Jew, the Jews have had it all along. I didn't know. It's so smart. I mean, you get home, it's been a long day, and you see your bride, and she looks at you, and she looks right into you yeah. and says, Sir, tough day? Yeah, sweetie. It was a long day. And you just. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's kind of the same for you guys that have been married, right? You can just relax, or as you put it, rest. Yeah. I'm home, and then oh, you're done. That's cool. that's so cool. Yeah. Any any more comments or questions on number three? We're moving in. Oh, six. We started out here, big group, congregation, those assembled for the wedding. Bless God for the man. He's like Adam. Bless God for the woman. She's like Eve. She's a building. She's Hamakom. And then we bless God for the joyous ingathering. Wait a minute. It was all about a wedding, and now we're moving outside the wedding. That's what it is. Bring intense joy and exaltation to the barren one through the ingathering of her children and her gladness. Blessed are you, Adonai, who gladdens Zion through her children. Amen. We have three passages to look up, if you don't mind. Somebody go to Isaiah 35.10. And then someone look up 51.3, and someone look up Isaiah 56.7. Thank you. Very good. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Okay. Just the one verse. We have we have two. Oh, you're doing two or what? I was, I was doing two. What? Anybody got, you got two back there? Y'all fight over no, I just have the last one. Okay, oh, yeah, okay. All right. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of me- melody. And is it just the one verse? Because it's sort Correct. of... Correct. Well, you can read about it. Sure. It's in the middle of the... Sure. Okay. Uh, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Shabbat without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. <coughs> so we see here, intense joy and exaltation for the barren. What's the significance of the barren? Who's the barren one? Actually, throughout this, throughout Isaiah and the songs of consolation, there's a reference, constant reminder <coughs> of the barren one, 
Why is the barren one being named here? First of all, who's the who's the most famous barren woman? Sarah. 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 Who's the next famous barren woman? Rivka. Rivka. <laughs> 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 all right. So we got a theme going here: barren women. <laughs> but apparently, this is a big theme. What what is the significance of one and a half million coming out of Mitzrayim over several hundred years? Uh, man. How many children can you people have? These are not barren people. So what's the significance of barren here? The son of the exile. It is the son of the exile, but why the exile? What's the correlation of the exile? And barren. Is it related to faith? It is. Go back to Leviticus. Tell me about, there's an odd ceremony in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. About a woman who's caught in adultery or is suspected of adultery. Bitter water stuff? Yeah. Bitter water. Bitter water. So she drinks the name, yeah, she drinks the dust of the tabernacle. With the name of God. With the name of God on it. If she has been unfaithful, she becomes barren. So what's the significance here? She's been found unfaithful. That's the point. She's been found unfaithful. So what we're asking God to do here, in the midst of this blessing, I mean, this is like, can we not make it a little bit less uncomfortable? We're having a wedding, and you're bringing up barren people? That means there's someone's been unfaithful. Barrenness is not a sign of unfaithfulness. But that was that sign for that person that was caught, or was suspected of being caught, right? That was the proof. There you go. So what's the, what's the point here? We're not, we're, we're not proof. We're not barren. She's got children. She has children. Bring intense joy. She has children. She was barren. She no longer is barren. That's power. Why is she no longer barren? Because his favor is still worth it. Remember, we're having a wedding where we're being given the imagery of relationship between God and his people. That image has been tarnished. Certainly, 2,000 years of, of supersessionism has tarnished it even more. How is it tarnished? First of all, it was tarnished by Israel's unfaithfulness. But then it was tarnished because everybody picked that up and said, yeah, you Jews, you you're don't done. even know the God that you claim to know. You're and the proof of it is, you're scattered around the world. And he's saying, no, no, no. We have a relationship. You are no longer barren. You have many children. And in fact, I'm going to bring them all here. So it's a prophetic statement. And the proof of it is, is look here. We're in this wedding ceremony. Look around. We're all Jews. <laughs> and we're here celebrating a Jewish wedding. Thank you. So apparently we haven't been wiped out, and God does keep his promises. Amen. It's a prophetic proclamation that it's going to get a whole lot better. Many more weddings are coming. Any final comments on number four? When we were talking about how the wedding kind of kicks everything off. The wedding is always, you know, it's a, sort of the personal Yom Kippur before you get married. That's right, you do. That. And I feel like that emphasizes that unconditional love because it's one of the first moments in our life when we feel an unconditional love for something because we haven't had children yet, we haven't been married yet, so you get married, but then children are the next time that happens. That's right. With every child that comes, you have another reminder of unconditional love. Very good. Mm. So, it is, a, it is our first glimpse in the ceremony of the Messianic Age. No, the bridegroom is not Messiah. 
Blessing five. Gladden the bridegroom and his bride. We will get some more here for uh, for the messianic picture. Gladden the beloved companions as you gladden your creature in the garden of Eden to the east. Blessed are you, Adonai, who get gladdens groom and bride. Gladden your beloved companions. Who are beloved companions? As you gladden your creature, whose creature? In the Garden of Eden. Well, we'd have to say it's in the Garden of Eden. Who is the creature in the Garden of Eden? Adam. Adam. Oh, man. <laughs> that is, that re highlights the fact that it is, they are two who become one, <coughs> but they're two who become one who are originally one. That's right. Um, that's one of the things in, in Two become one that were one. Right, that were <laughs> one. Because according to Ju- Jewish tradition, and they're basing it off of the scriptures, really, is that. Um, man, when he is first created, is in a sense man and woman to a degree. Right. And then they're separated to be two. But then the, the, the job, in a sense, is to reform them. According to um, more mystical teachings, that even their souls were originally one. And so, according to Jewish tradition today, um, when a man is we have a we have a beshert, the soulmate. Your soulmate. I mean, it's not a. I know it sounds kind of seventy-ish, but it's not. <laughs> It's actually very Jewish. You have a soulmate. I mean, the, the the mystical teaching, whether you want to accept it or not, the mystical teaching is that you have a soulmate, that you were one soul that were s- divided as Adam and Eve was divided, and that when you come together, you become one soul again. It doesn't mean you're not responsible for your own actions, a moral soul. But the idea is that there's a union that takes place that reunites you with the one that you were made with. And that's why Thunk of. And connected to that teaching is why there's a natural longing for a man towards a woman and for a woman towards a man. Very it's that good. natural drawing, trying to come back together to that original statement. Yeah. And, and, and even if you don't want to accept the concept of the share, the soulmate, it is it is something that everybody that's married has an inkling there was something like that. You know, it is it's not just a I mean it's not just a physical attraction. There's something about well, it. There is also a, I don't know, um, it's true for everyone. I know for me, there is an odd feeling almost like, especially after you get married, where it almost feels like this is new, but this has always been there. I don't remember. It's like, it's <laughs> like, no, no, it's not so much that, but it's, it's like, it's like life before this was a separate lifetime. What's and the Sandra Bullock this, this is the life, uh, <laughs> and this life is always there. <laughs> the lake house? It was a lake house. Yeah. The lake house. But it is kind of cool. You've got like this, and it really does feel like it. It looks like, a, like an out-of-time experience. It is. It absolutely is. No question about it. I'm not trying to make it weird. I'm just saying there's something more than just two people. We're with you. Yeah. Sanctioned by the state and the church. <laughs> Somebody look up uh, this Song of Songs. Oh, I love that book. I hope you do. Chapter 5, verse 16. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desired. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. This is the daughter of Absolutely. This particular bridegroom. Okay, we're in the ceremony. This bridegroom right here in front of us. This bridegroom, and this bride that we see here are gladdened as the first bridegroom and the bride in the Garden of Eden. The creature, singular. Okay? Their joy increases as their union is witnessed by the group here. 
and share in the promises of Jerusalem. This is really important because we're moving on into the next blessings. Jerusalem's going to keep coming back. Okay. Anyway, th- that one, I'm glad you brought up the Beshared idea because the Beshared actually is specifically being uh, identified in, in Song of Songs, or the concept of Song of Songs uh, uh, 5, 6, There are voices in Jerusalem. You know, this is the weird... I have to say, before... And I don't want to denigrate anybody here, but... um, uh, Those of you know that my middle son didn't have a Jewish wedding. He had Jewish elements in a Jewish wedding. Because his his wife didn't want that kind of wedding. That's fine. Um, But at the same time, there were others that were helping and prepare for the wedding that were chosen to help them prepare for the wedding that thought they did have it all figured out. And it was really kind of it was really kind of funny to listen to them trying, well, we need to do this Jewish stuff and this is what this Jewish stuff means, you know. And and no, actually you really missed it. It was not even close. The example that I wanted to bring up was the breaking of the glass. It's Jeremiah broke a glass in at the very end and and the person that was performing the wedding, the state sanctioned wedding. Uh, <laughs> describes what that means. Mm. Well, the glass is all about how fragile our lives are. Mm. And that when the glass is broken, we just have to pause for a moment and remember we're so, life is fragile, so we should cherish every moment. And I actually thought that was very good. That's very good. That was awesome. awesome. That's a great little lesson. Absolutely. But that is not what we do. <laughs> Why? We, and we didn't do the sad song for Jerusalem because that'd be too depressing in a way. Like, no, you missed the point. You gotta do the sad song for Jerusalem. Why? Because you need to understand what it means. Because weddings are important. Weddings are so important that we have to understand what that sad song for Jerusalem means. And this is part of that, right? So here, so we do the sad song for Jerusalem before we say this blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe created joy and gladness, groom and bride, mirth and glad song, pleasure, delight, love, brotherhood, peace, and companionship. Adonai, our God, let there soon be heard in the cities of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem the sound of joy and the sound of gladness, the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the groom's jubilescence from their canopies and the hues from their song-filled feasts. It's not that more difficult to say in Hebrew. <laughs> Blessed are you, who gladdens the groom with his bride. Mm-hmm. Somebody read Jeremiah. And this is, this. the funny thing is, everybody that does the glass thing knows this passage wherever they're from. But they don't get the point. Somebody read Jeremiah 33, 10 through 11. Thus says Adonai, again will be heard in this place of which you are saying, it is a waste without people and without animals. In the towns of Judah and in the towns of Jerusalem that are desolate, without people and without inhabitants and without animals. The voice of jubilation, the voice of joy, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who say, Praise Adonai of hosts, for Adonai is good, for his loyal love is forever. The voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of Adonai, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as in the beginning, says Adonai. So here's the idea, and I, I misspoke, the actual sad song for Jerusalem, whatever it is. If I forget your Jerusalem, it can be anything. But it's a sad song about Jerusalem. It's actually after we've done the blessings. The reason why we do it before breaking the glass is this. This is because of this right here. This blessing. This blessing 
is to remind everybody present that weddings are about the relationship between God and his people and that relationship will not reach its fulfillment until King Messiah is in Jerusalem. Amen. And so our moment for pausing, considering, we're joyful here, by the way, this is usually a happy one. <laughs> but the reason for pausing before breaking the glass is because we're reminding everybody here, listen, you've just heard the voice of the bridegroom. You've just heard the voice of the bride. And especially if you're doing this outside the walls of Jerusalem, which is a giant wedding platform, and you mean Moshe today, where weddings take place in Jerusalem, everybody wants everybody to know, this ain't that wedding. The weddings that are going on on that wedding platform, this is not the wedding that's being described in Jeremiah 30, uh, 33. So every time we get together and have a wedding, everybody needs to know, this is fun, this is not that wedding. There's something even better coming. This is great. This is wonderful. This is a picture of what we're about to do. Because when Messiah comes back, all you're going to hear all day long is weddings, weddings, weddings. That's a... Wow. I mean, it's like, you want to know a messianic sign? Wedding is a messianic sign. The biggest. But I think that's so powerful about this particular part of the ceremony is it is a... It is a um, like an interest... For that, it's a it's a pro- it's a promise for yes. those prophecies. It is a, a glimpse, a vision of what it's going to be. It's not a fulfillment, but it is a reminder exactly. that God has kept His promises and He will keep them. Especially today, when you've got a wedding in Jerusalem, there's only one way that's possible, and that's because God Jews are there. <laughs> well, and that's because God has kept His promise. That's right. To this point, and it's a it's a it's a proof text. That he will keep his ultimate promise. Anybody was uh, for our discussion this past Shabbat, uh, Rob uh, Upham brought up a wonderful, wonderful perspective with regard to Joseph's bones. How prophetic Joseph's bones being carried into the land were. And the fact that an empty tomb in Egypt was proof that God keeps his promises. And that allusion to a messianic empty tomb. This is. End, this is the end result. This is like this is like the final touchdown here. We're talking about. You want to know what the messianic age looks like? It's weddings taking place in Jerusalem. That's it. How will you know that Messiah is here? Weddings in Jerusalem. So we need to be careful every time we have a wedding. This is not that one. We're not there yet. It's nice that you thought about it, but this isn't it. That's why we do the sad song. <laughs> Because not because we can't go to Jerusalem, but because we're not forgetting. In our moment of joy, we are not forgetting. There is something more joyous coming. So it's prophetic. This sign, I love that. I wrote this. This sign trumps two millennia Christian dogma. Period. Shuts it all down. When we talk about a messianic sign, nothing compares to this one. It's not to denigrate or, de- or, de- or demote the sign of an empty tomb. But an empty tomb is just an empty tomb. A risen Lord is good. It's wonderful. It's great. But ain't it. When he's here, that is the sign. Right? Everybody agree? It's like, wow. It's like, all, up until then, all that is really, it's great. It's wonderful. It's great. Most important thing that's ever happened to our lives. But when this happens, that appeal in comparison. This trumps it all. And the wedding is the picture? Yeah. That's pretty cool. 
Blessing seven. Look like that sixth one. Yeah, huh? Um, that one's my favorite. It is mine too, because usually everybody's clapping and singing along. <laughs> well, Even if they don't know the Hebrew, they still sing it. It's a great tune. But then on top of that, it's my favorite because of the way that it ends. The way that it ends is um, God who, bl- who gladdens bridegroom with the bride. Yeah. And that's what I was talking about earlier in saying that it turns the wedding into a worship experience. Because it's in that moment that we're actually thanking God, blessing God for the wedding that's taking place. That's right. Because up, because if realistically, from a human perspective, you could see the the wedding ceremony and ultimately the bridegroom's rejoicing over his bride as being the most fleshly, the most carnal expression of humanity, because it's basically, you know, it's life. The guy got the chick. Yeah, you know, guy gets the girl. End of story. You know, good for him. Whatever. That's but the point is that that's. That's actually not. That's the that's the exact opposite of what's happening here. Right. The reality is that when man and woman come together in marriage, it's actually like the height of worship. It is the ultimate expression of, of well, sort of obviously the temple or anything like that. But for for us in our daily lives, right. it is the the greatest ex, uh, display of who God is. And so um, that rejoicing of Long the bridegroom, that you know, rejoicing the bridegroom with the bride, <laughs> is in fact a gift from God. And it is so cool that in this moment of, especially in this moment, because that's the bridegroom. It's like this. This when this song hits, it's like you're you're like some of the happiest you've been up in your entire life to that point. And so in that moment, to be able to realize that this is a gift from God, and to thank Him for it, it's just beautiful. Yes, uh, Isaiah sixty-two-five uh, really comes to mind with respect to the sixth blessing, which which says, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And that's really the essence of it. Right so, so and, and thank you for bringing that up, because how is Jerusalem described in the book of Revelation? As a bride adorned? It's like, wow, now you got it. <laughs> now you understand a little bit about Revelation that maybe you didn't before, if you didn't know the Jewish wedding, right? Very good. So, the blessing seven kind of like seems, okay, well, we do this all the time. So let me see. But maybe you don't know why we do it all the time. Yeah, we, I mean, we, it is about joy. We need to have some wine. I mean, I agree. It's a great thing to have some wine and thank God for the wine. I mean, it's not like thanking God for the wine, though. Don't misunderstand. Anytime you do bore pre, you're not thanking God for the wine. There's something else going on. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Mm-hmm. It's pretty simple. But it's the significance of what that that wine represents. Judges 9, 13, someone, please. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Okay, so for all the teetotalers, you have to close your ears down for a second, okay? Because God likes it. Amen. But God doesn't just like it in the sense that we like it. There's something else here going on. There's something about wine and an expression of thanking him for it, blessing him in the in the process of drinking the wine in a community setting, whether it's two or more, right? Is because that gladdens him. It's not the alcohol content, don't misunderstand. <laughs> that's why that's why men may like wine, but that's not why God likes wine. It's because it has a it has a it has an intimate relationship connotation. There's a spiritual infusion between 
God and man. So when we drink wine in a group setting and bless God, we are inviting him as a member of our group. Where two or three are gathered, that kind of idea. It's pretty profound when you start thinking about it. It's like, wait, well, that's why the Passover wine cups are so cool. And that's why Christianity adopted the Lord's Supper thing and communion or whatever else. They do kind of have this idea that somehow something magical Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. (laughs) This is not a promotion of transubstantiation. The point here is, though, there is something about the presence of God being in the group as a result of this blessing. Can we relate this then to the wedding feast where Yeshua turned the large wine in Canaan? That wasn't accidental. As we talked about previously in this course, that's exactly. There's a reason why that's the first miracle. If you know the wedding of Sheva Brachot, by the way, you know that Sheva Brachot are the seven blessings. You know there's there's two blessings, or there's three blessings that include the wine, prior to this, that are not considered part of the Sheva Brachot. Right. And one of those is actually blessing God for the wine. You're going to bless God for the wine before you do all this stuff, and then you're going to bless God at the end to drink the wine. Well, this one at the end is kind of like the culmination. This group here has experienced and, how has, and now has brought glory to God, and his presence is here. Mm-hmm. That's the point. It gladdens God and his people and reminds the bridegroom and the bride of his participation and his delight in these two becoming one. His delight. He's delighted in this. This is this makes him happy. Can you, and it's like, think about it for a second. God may not smile, but in our minds, he would smile over this one, right? These two become one. It's, it's so cool that you bring up the participation and the, the being here with us because of course then you think of Yeshua saying do this in remembrance of me right. so it's like a reminder of the time that God was most humbly and like closely Absolutely. associated with his people through it, through it, through I it. have desired to have this past it's like a earnestly, earnestly desire to have this past yeah, absolutely okay so Rashi's explanation I really love Rashi's view of these seven blessings because he makes it you know, we've, we've explored the, the grand picture. Rashi makes it real, real practical for us. I like what Rashi does. The assembled, the assembled guests are blessed for they emulate God who is a member of the wedding party of Adam. That's cool. That's, cool. That's neat. That's the first blessing. Well, God was the member of the wedding party, so here we have a wedding party. Isn't this cool? We're, 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 taking, his, we're taking his place. We're stand-ins for him. Okay? God created Adam, the first human being. That's the second one. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. It's pretty practical. You can't have anybody else without having Adam. <laughs> okay. well, never mind. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold till later. Okay. God separated Eve from Adam. They were one. He made two, right? So they could become two distinct people, and then he could put them back together. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's a nice blessing. How can we rejoice while our mother city Jerusalem is barren with all our children in exile? So we plead with God, bring your children back. It's like gathering the four corners of your 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 talit, your zitzit, uh, uh, in that just before the Shema. May God allow young people who are about to become lifelong companions, these young people, uh, who are about to become lifelong companions, to enjoy success in all their lives together, just as He gladdened Adam and Eve. Finally, we thank God for gladdening this particular couple in their shared joy 
And we pray that he will return pure joy to the streets of Jerusalem in the Messianic age. Amen. And the last one is the Shepherd closes with the blessing over the wine, which is a symbol of joy combined with devotion to God. What, that's where i got to get the idea of participation, is that when the blessing over wine is said, wherever it's being said, with, with more than one person present, is that it is, it is the combining of whatever about's going on, or whatever's going on, and making it a devotion to God. Like a altar. Alright, so, summary. Throughout scripture, various aspects of the relationship between God and his people are described with human relationships. We know the relationship between a, a father and his children, a king and his, and his subjects. This, of course, is our priest and, his, uh, priest and those who are brought nearby to uh, redemptive work. But this relationship is about the most intimate relationships. And so it speaks in ways the other relationships cannot speak. So we need to know this language. We, do. we need to know this language because that, isn't that the real essence of our relationship with God? We are certainly his subjects. He is certainly our king. He is certainly our father. We are his children. He is, you know, Messiah is certainly our priest who brings us near. When we talk about a day-to-day relationship with God, it's that marriage relationship where we corporately and individually, but corporately, are united to him in this sense of the bridegroom and the Jewish bride. The language of the bridegroom is specifically revealed in the Jewish wedding. There's no other language or any other culture that describes it like the Jewish wedding does. Anything final? Comments? Questions? I can't wait Disagreements? Y'all are too compliant. Yes, another wedding. Who's next, by the way? Who's next? Brock. Brock is yes. next. After Brock, anybody else? Who, who's after that? Pete? <laughs> well, we can we can we can we can assume maybe maybe maybe. Oh uh, yeah, that would be true. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly August. Possibly. Yeah. I've not been yet to hold a date. I'm not in the circle. The circle of Christ. I was. By the the way, I've been to lots of Jewish weddings. I've been to lots of Jewish weddings. They're awesome. Everyone I like even better than the last. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could probably no, I'm not. <laughs> we could probably nickname you the wedding singer because you sung it almost all. Well, the yeah, time. being the wedding singer is a is a special blessing. I have to tell you. But what I would encourage everybody here, everybody here's a guy. You can do this. You can do this. Everybody here should know how to sing Shabbat Shalom. Are you going to sing them for us? Uh, actually, I don't have the. I may or may not be able to I didn't come prepared but everybody here should be able to sing it and here's why Why do I say that why should every man be able to sing Shabbat Shalom well not just at the wedding not just at the wedding what are Shabbat Shalom remember we talked about Shabbat Shalom the seven the week dinners that you have prepared for the bride. That's right. A week before, yeah. you need to have somebody that could do the show of Rakot. And, you know, generally it's great to have different people do it at every house or whatever else. That's wonderful, too. That's wonderful. Not to detract from that. But just in case somebody doesn't know how to do them, it would be good to be able to do them. I probably can't do it. It's been a while. Uh, just pick, the, pick your favorite and just do one. Yeah, do the, do the wine one. That sounds like John Philip Sousa. Peter. 